When I met Micah uh, before the first service, he had like his in-ears in, and I was like, oh, you sing? And he was like, a little. And then he gets up here and sings like that, and I'm like, good gosh. So humble, man. God's going to bless you one day. Um, like I said, my name's Corey. It is an honor and privilege to be here with you, Central. And uh, I just want to say how excited I am. I mean, I don't know if you have those days where you wake up and you're just like, woo, let's go. But that's one of those days for me. Uh, turn to your neighbor and tell them, let's go. I like it. I like it. I like it. Now, I, I know if you heard from the first service, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but I am nowhere near as secure as your lead pastor, Craig. By the way, Craig, thank you so much for letting me be here with you guys. Don't y'all love Craig? Y'all love him? Yeah, that was good. I like that. But I say that to say, as I preach, um, to spiritualize it, I, I do truly believe this also. I believe preaching is best when it's not a monologue, but rather a dialogue. And by that I mean when, when we hear something out of God's word that we agree with, it helps us and those around us when we affirm it, preferably positively. And it also helps my self-esteem. So at any point in time in the next few moments as we open up God's word and I share from it, if I say anything you even mildly agree with, if you grew up in church and you speak Christianese, you can give me the old-fashioned amen. Everybody give me an amen. Nice. I like it. I, that's like me. I grew up in church. Amen feels right. Amen directly translates to so be it. But that's not a word we use a lot in like our everyday vernacular. You know what I mean? Like you don't go to Chick-fil-A and you're like, I have a number one. And they're like, would you like fries? And you're like, so be it. Amen. No, we don't do that. We say like, yeah, or that's awesome, right? All those work in church too. So if I say something you agree with, you can like modernize it, you know, give it a yeah, or you know, 70s right on, or that's what's up, like whatever positive affirmation you give him, but it's really good. The, the Bible says it like this in the New Testament. Paul says the Holy Spirit groans for us. You know it's really good if you can't even find the words and you just give me a mm, right? Everybody give me a mm. Yeah, I like that. I was preaching one time in a church that uh, suffice it to say I was the minority. And a woman stood up and she went, preach it, white boy. And I was like, I'm trying. <laughs> but that was the pinnacle of my preaching career. It's been downhill from, since then. But, but yeah, so whatever you hear today, I, I would encourage you to just engage. And I am so thrilled to open up the passage we're going to go to today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter what? Four. Nice. Good job, guys. And, and if anything, it just keeps the person next to you awake when you engage. Um, but like uh, Micah said, um, it's my honor and privilege to lead a ministry down in Kingston, Jamaica. Anybody ever been to Jamaica? Yeah. How many of you, it was on a cruise? Yeah, <laughs> like 90%. When you think Jamaica, a lot of people think Sandals Resorts, you know, Ochi, Ochi Rios, Samo Bay, Montego Bay over there in the grill. Beautiful beaches, awesome people. Um, but Jamaica as a nation, as a whole, is a phenomenal country filled with a, a lot of amazing people, but it's a third world developing country. And we do ministry right there in the port city of Kingston, Jamaica. And, and it's a blessing and an honor to do that. And it's it's so inspiring to be a part of something internationally and then to come to a church like Central and hear and learn about the Water's Edge Network and learn about a group of people here in Holland, Michigan that says it's not just about us, but we want to see God reach our city, the cities around us, the states around us, and the countries around us. So on behalf of just a, a, a pastor and a fellow Christ follower from another part of the world, I just want to say thank you. Thank you guys for having a heart that's beyond just this building. That is huge, and you should all give yourselves a hand for that right now. Yeah, you're awesome people. So we're going to jump into Mark chapter 4, and uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. 
Uh, I'm going to do kind of an exegetical study. Um, exegetical, exegesis is just another Christianese word that means verse by verse. And, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to go all the way about a quarter of the ways into Mark chapter 5. And, and we're going to take it, you know, pretty quick. I speak relatively fast. Um, good news is it'll be online later. So you can go online and you can slow it down if you miss something. But, uh, oh, and Pastor Travis gave me uh, a coffee in, in before the first service, and I didn't know this, but he slipped an extra shot of espresso in it. Big mistake, bro. Um, so I'm going to be like running all over the stage. Just good luck keeping up, cameraman. But before we jump into Mark chapter 4, I just want to point out one more thing. And that is a church like Central and the Water's Edge Network churches. What I, one of the things I love about them is you reach unchurched people. You reach, this, this is a place where if you don't know God, you are welcome here. And I just want to stop and point that out. Like if you walked in today, I don't know why all of you are here. Some of you, maybe you were born in this church. You're one of those people where you're like right there, fourth pew, you know, six pounds, eight ounces. I was born right, you know, some of us are raised in the church. But some of us, like you may be here and this may be your very first time. And you may not know anything about God or the Bible, or, or even to take it a step further, maybe you don't like the concept of God or the Bible. And first off, let me just say thank you for being brave enough to come. I don't know if you came because you saw a sign. Maybe you thought the girl was cute, so you, know, you thought this would give you a first shot at a date. I don't know why, but I know this, God has a plan for you here. And, and I would encourage you, if you're just sitting there and you're having any doubts at all, just pray a prayer something like this. Hey, God, if you're real, prove it. And the thing I know and love about God is he hears that kind of prayer, and he is real, and he, re he will prove it. So I'm excited that you're here today, but if you do come from that context, one of the things I've learned when it comes to this book we're going to read from today is in past generations, it was enough to hold up this book and say, it is true because it is written. It's true. We should believe it because it's written in the Bible, right? Like that was a, a mantra for the last like probably 100 decades. But what I've, what I've learned in modern ministry, especially dealing with millennials and younger, is it's no longer enough to say it's true because it's written. Because I've met people, I'll go, it's true. And they'll be like, why? And I'll be like, because it's written. And they'll be like, written in what? And I'll be like, the Bible. And they're like, what's that? You know, they're like, I should believe everything that's written? Okay, Harry Potter, let's go. Like, they're just like, <laughs> it's not enough anymore. And so I've kind of pivoted my, my ministry stance to take it a step further and, and say it's not just true because it's written, but it's true because it actually happened. It's true because what we're going to read today in Mark chapter 4 isn't a story. It's an actual event with a few people that experienced real-life changes in nature and real-life interactions in people, and it, and it actually took place. To modernize it a little bit, it would be like this. Like, say a few of your friends, like three of your friends, win free tickets off the radio for like a surprise concert in downtown Holland. And they're like, woo! And it was like last night, and they, they get to the theater, and, and the curtain opens, and it's like the best pop artist in the world. I, I don't what what's popular here? What's music? Who? Imagine Dragons! Yeah! It's like Imagine Dragons! I like it. And thank you for participating, my boy. Man, thank you. Everybody else was like, I don't know, it's on its own. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's like, Beyonce. No, it's... But it's it's what it's Garth Brooks. I don't know. Whoever you like, the curtain opens and, and it's Imagine Dragons, and you're like, whoa! 
And so one friend runs to the foot of the stage. They're like, I love Imagine Dragons and they love me. And they're like taking a selfie and they post it on Instagram. And then another friend's in the back of the auditorium and they take a picture and they're like, best concert ever. And they post it on Facebook and they were like, there was 3,828 people here. And then another friend's just like spinning around in the middle and they tweet because they're old school and they put on Twitter, you should have been here. It was phenomenal. How many of us would have woken up today and saw that Instagram post, Facebook post, and tweet, how many of us would, would see that and go, I bet that was fake. I bet Imagine Dragons was not there, right? We would all be like, oh, I wish I was there. That looked amazing. Here's my point. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just four dudes that followed around what became a celebrity named Jesus, and they wrote down on the social media of their day the awesome stuff that they saw him do. But instead of posting on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, they just put pen to paper, and they're like, everybody, you got to know about what Jesus did. So if you'll believe a Facebook post and an Instagram post and a tweet, you better believe a written letter from these guys that stood the test of time. So if you have a, hey, Ooh, we got some applause in the second service. I knew I was going to like you guys. Hey, the first service was pretty rowdy, though, so high bar. Um, I, I had a lady over here that said, I heard great things from the first service, and I looked back and I said, low expectations. Keep them low. But yeah, so if you have a problem with the Bible, just think of it like this. It, it's a book of ancient songs and poems and historical account and some letters that we compiled and put together to help us better understand the existence of our Creator and that Savior Jesus that was sent to us. So as we read it, think of it like an Instagram post, minus the picture. Um, so we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 in verse 35. If you're there, say yeah. Nice. Ooh, he said yeah. I like it. All right, here we go. It reads. On that day, pause. <laughs> Some of you are like, three words, really? <laughs> it's going to be a long service. No, told you, I talk fast. But, but I just wanted to stop and point out, like, any amount of words in the Bible, first off, can change your life. Like, literally, I don't know if you know this, but when God spoke a word, stars were born. So when you read a word of Scripture, literally the breath of God comes upon you, and one single word can change the trajectory of not just your day, but your entire life. And so just a simple sentence like this, on that day, we need to stop and ask some questions. And a great study tool is just to think, what question could I ask, ask it, and then try and find the answer. So in a sentence like, on that day, what question should you ask? Good job. Yeah. What day? What day are we talking about? And Scripture without context is confusing, so let's get some context. Mark chapter 4, if you read the passage before this, I call it the seed chapter, S-E-E-D, because Jesus is teaching about seeds over and over and over again, these parables, these made-up stories to help us understand the kingdom of God and generosity. But he's teaching on the Sea of Galilee in the hot Middle Eastern sun. It says a crowd gathered, so probably a few thousand people, and Jesus got into a boat and he pushed out into the sea, not because the Israelites didn't smell good, but because Jesus was a genius. Because if you read the text over and over again, Jesus would always get in a boat if he was near water and push out because you, we know it today, but back then science hadn't proved it yet, but Jesus knew it. Sound waves are an amazing conduit, or waves like water is an amazing conduit for sound waves. And so Jesus would push out so more of the people could hear him. And this is before sound systems and microphones. So Jesus is in the hot Middle Eastern sun like this. And you got it. So he's just yelling all day in this hot sun, teaching these people. So on that day, in that context, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across 
to the other side. Somebody say other side. Other say it like you mean it. Say other side. Other side. Nice. That was, wow, that was really good, especially this section. That's the title of my message today, Other Side. Now, when we read this passage, it's really easy to just gloss over that, right? Like many of us have been to the lake. We've been to Lake Michigan. We've been to lakes around here, and we go to the other side all the time. It's like, whoo, other side. Let's go boating. But when Jesus said this to the disciples, it sent a shiver down their spine. Whoa, other side. What are you talking about, Jesus? Slowly roll. Why? Because they were on the Jewish side, the Hebrew side of the Sea of Galilee, the safe side, the side where they were welcome. When Jesus said, let us go to the other side, what he was saying is, let's go to the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis, Deca means 10. It was 10 Roman cities. These were very pagan, evil cities where Jews were not really welcome. So much so like Rome had conquered the nation of Israel and when a Roman soldier, general, officer would retire, they would often get land in the Decapolis. So if you were a Jewish citizen and you went to the Decapolis, a lot of these people that had land there were people that had fought against you and conquered you. Suffice it to say, the disciples were not welcome there, did not want to go there, and especially were not comfortable there. So when Jesus said, let us go to the other side, what he was saying is, let us get out of your comfort zone and go where you're the least comfortable. And I just want to pause and preface the whole message with that because I think when we look out over the horizon of 2019, that very well may be the word for you, your marriage, your family, or this church. Let us go to the other side. And the other side always represents getting outside of your comfort zone. And if you, like me, if you've been following Jesus for 10 minutes, 10 months, or 10 years, you know it's not long before he's doing this. Come on, let's go to the other side. And when, as we say that, like, you can feel what the other side is for you. Like, for many of us, it may be like that Water's Edge Network calling, like, let's go to the other side of the world. Some of us, it's the other side of the country. Maybe it's the other side of the, the state or the city. Maybe it's just the other side of the neighborhood to talk to that neighbor you know you need to talk to. Maybe it's just the other side of the office to finally reconcile with that coworker that there's been a beef with. Maybe it's just the other side of the living room because there's been so much tension in the home and in the marriage and God is calling you to get uncomfortable and get some peace in the home. I said that in the first service, and a, a lady over here in this section just looked at her husband like this. <laughs> I was like, gonna be a fun car ride home for you, sir. <laughs> but God is always calling us to the other side. He's always calling us to the other side. And my prayer for Central is that 2019 will be an other side type of year. And so we're about to check out the journey to the other side, and then we're gonna look at what happens when you get to the other side. So one more time, give it to me. Say other side on the count of three. One, two, three. All right, good. Just want to make sure you remember it. So he said, let us go across the other side. And the disciples started freaking out, but they obeyed. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Hold on to that. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. So many of us know this story. They're on the Sea of Galilee making their way across to the Decapolis and a huge storm comes up, so much so that the disciples thought they were going to die and then Jesus did what Jesus always does. He handles the situation. But there's a, there's a phrase there that is so important. 
It says, they put Jesus in the boat. They got in the boat with Jesus. A great windstorm arose, and other boats were with him. Did you catch that? I'm sorry. I love scripture. Like, I just get, oh, it's so good. Because, like, that little phrase, and other boats were with them. We read that, and we're like, yeah, yay, pointless. No. Why is that a huge deal? Two things. One, they put Jesus in their boat, and they got in the boat. So the crew was the 12 and Jesus. If Jesus was not a part of the crew, guess what would have happened? They probably would have died. What, what's the impetus there? We need to stop on the outset of 2019 and evaluate who's in our boat. Who's in your crew? Who are you rowing through these seas of life with? There's that old leadership adage. Many of us have probably heard it. You show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. That's, what, that's the trajectory you're going. There was even a study done in North America recently that said your income will be the median of your 10 closest friends. Some of you are like, I gotta get some richer friends. <laughs> that's your goal for 2019, right? No, why? It's not because they have money and they give it to you. It's because if you hang around people with savvy business acumen, you're gonna glean from it. You're gonna learn wisdom and you're gonna be a reflection of who you hang around. One of the easiest takeaways from this story is just to stop and ask, who is in my crew? Who is doing life with me? And do I need to throw some people overboard? In the name of Jesus, in a nice way. Put them in another boat. But y'all understand what I'm saying here, but it, then there's a step further. It said, and other boats were with them. Why is that key? Because the other boats didn't have Jesus in their boat. But guess what? There was a storm going. They thought they were gonna die. And the other boats without Jesus in them also lived, also experienced the miracle because one boat had Jesus in it. Like, that's huge. Imagine if you were in one of those other boats and you think you're going to die and then you see a man walk to the bow of one boat, speak, and the entire natural system obeys him and stops. You would literally, like, if you're the captain of that other boat, you'd be like, follow that boat. Wherever it goes, just, just go where they go, right? Like, <laughs> paddle that way. Don't leave them. Why? Here's the point there. Here's why we need to pay attention to that. Because if Jesus is in this boat, if Jesus is in Central, if he is working in this boat that is our church, if he is here, then the entire community around us should be changed. If it is a Jesus boat, if it's a Jesus church, then the other boats, the water level should rise for all of us as God works in here. So if Jesus is really working in here, poverty should go down in our city. If Jesus is really working in here, the divorce rate should go down in our city. Debt and depression should go down in our city. Because if Jesus is in one boat, the whole city should get blessed. Amen. And he is in this boat. How do we know that? Because we just heard God is blessing the city through you guys, and he is making an impact in this city because we got Jesus in the boat. You guys are doing a good job. And so I, I just love this. It says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Do I have anybody that likes to take a nap? Any nappers? Yeah. You know when people give you a hard time for that? Next time somebody gives you a hard time for taking a nap, just say WWJD. What would Jesus do? He would take a nap. That's what he was doing. And a lot of theologians try and spiritualize this. You know, he was taking a nap because blah, blah, blah. I think he was taking a nap because he was tired. He was preaching in the hot sun all day. Homeboy was tired. So they wake him up, and this is funny. He says, the disciples say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care? You don't even care about us. Parents, do I have any parents in the house? Parents, yeah, parents watching online. 
How many of you have had your kids come to you and say something similar to that? You don't care about me. You didn't care, right? Don't you just want to look back at your kids and go like, hey, you know when you couldn't eat, walk, or talk, I did all of that for you? Like, you know I pay for literally everything that you have, including that room I'm about to send you to? Get out of my face, right? Like, I don't care, like spouses, when your spouse is like, you don't care about me, and you're like, we've been together for three decades. What do you mean I don't care? <laughs> Sorry, love you, honey. Um, <laughs> wife's over there. But that, and I love Jesus, you know, he doesn't even respond. He, he doesn't get up and be like, no, guys, I do care about you. It's like he said, they say that and he wakes up and he's just like, get out of my way, right? And he just goes to the, to the bow of the ship and, and this gets, this is so cool. It says, he goes, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Now, I, in my Bible, that there's the word peace, exclamation point, and then I have to turn the page it says, be still. And as I was studying this passage, that, that stuck out to me because, like, the page stuck for me, and I went, peace. And I was trying to turn it when I was originally studying it, and I turned and said, be still. And then something hit me. We don't know the amount of time that transpired in between those two sentences. And why is that key? Because Jesus spoke peace into the disciples before he stopped the storm. In other words, your peace is not predicated by your surroundings or environment. Jesus can bring peace into any storm. And to prove that he was the prince of the peace he had just sent, he then stilled the storm. Here's the deal. Yeah, amen. One person's happy about that. I'm happy about it. This is why that's huge. It doesn't matter the storm you're going through. Jesus can bring peace to it. The Bible literally says if you follow Christ, he gives us a peace that surpasses not just circumstances, but even our understanding. That should be one of the things that separates Christ followers from everybody else in the world is that no matter what we go through, we're going to be okay. No matter what's going on, the debt, the depression, the financial systems, the economy, no matter how bad it gets, the diagnosis, it doesn't matter. We can have peace because we're in the boat with Jesus, because we know the king. We know the one that can still the storm. Sidebar, this one's for free. Who sent them to the other side? Whose idea was it? Yep, that, thank you. It's not, if you don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus, okay? It's always Jesus or the Bible. I learned that as a little kid. Just say one of those two things. But the answer here is Jesus. It was Jesus' idea to go to the other side. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was God in the flesh, so he was all-knowing. So if Jesus is all-knowing and he sent them to the other side, Jesus knew the storm was coming. Jesus sent them right into the storm. What does that mean? Just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. So many people bail out of a marriage because it gets tough. Because it gets because it's a storm or it's been a storm for a few. So many people bail out of a career or out of a job or leave a church because it gets stormy or wavy. Here's the deal. Jesus, if he's called you to the other side, if he's called you to that marriage, if he's called you to that career, if he's called you to this church, it doesn't matter how wavy or stormy it gets. If he's called you to it, he will see you through it. He's going to get you to the other side. Just keep Jesus in your boat. Oftentimes, he sends us into storms because we need to learn something to prepare us for the other side to get us ready for where he's taking us. I just wanted to encourage somebody today. If you're going through a storm,
Just stop and ask God, hey, God, am I still heading where you want me to? And if he says yes, weather the storm. It's going to be okay. Best part about storms is they subside, especially when Jesus is in your boat. I could, Pastor Craig, I could just keep preaching on that. I can't even make it to Mark 5. Okay, we're going to try. All right, we're going to go. We're going to go. So he says, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Hashtag harsh. Like, you ever think, like, these were experienced fishermen. Three of them were like, they lived on the water, and they thought they were going to die. That means this wasn't just a little squall. This was a life-threatening storm. And they did what a lot of us would deem the correct thing. They went to Jesus, right? Like, check. That's what you're supposed to do. And he says, why do you still have no faith? Why, why, why were you afraid? He, he wasn't mad at them or frustrated with them because they came to him. He was questioning their faith because he, he was reminding them, didn't I say we were going to the other side? And if I say it, if Jesus says it, you can bank on it. It was his way of saying, have I let you down before? Wasn't it my plan to get there? It's going to be okay. If Jesus said it, He'll see you through it. Imagine you're the disciples, though. Like, literally, the dude just spoke to nature, and nature obeyed. And this was, like, one of the first times he had done this. They had to be like, whoa. <laughs> right? Like, don't make him mad. <laughs> and then I love this. See, this is the rest of the story. Uh, anybody old enough to remember Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story? Ooh, applause for Paul Harvey. Wow. Some of you are like, are you old enough to remember that? Yes, I listened in the womb, NPR. But the rest of the story here, see, Mark was not written with chapters and verses when he originally wrote this letter. It was just one fluid narrative. And so the story continues in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this, Then they came to the other side. Say other side. Other side. So how do we make it to the other side of 2019? You stay in the boat with Jesus. You put your faith in him. You hold on to his word. But then what happens when we get to the other side? What happens when we get the ring, single ladies? What happens when we get to retirement, couples? What happens when we get the diploma, high school and college students? What happens when we get that thing we've been praying for and we make it to the other side? Well, let's see what happened. <laughs> I love it. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and Jesus had stepped out of the boat, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. You're about to see, it, gets, it goes from bad to worse. It's so funny. And immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he, was, he always was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran to him. Okay, again, we read stuff like this, and we're like, oh, that's neat. No! Like... Imagine you're one of the disciples, and you get to the shore, and you're like, land, thank God, right? You lived, and you just get to the shore of Deviltown, the place you didn't want to get, go to in the first place, and your welcoming committee is psycho-suicidal Sam, right? The book of Luke says that he was naked. So you have, like, this superhuman strength, supervillain, like psychotic cutter, drenched in jive blood, naked, running at you. Like, picture that. No, don't picture that. But you get it. Like, this is not the welcoming committee you want. And it literally got, they achieved the goal. 
They made it to the other side. And I just imagine if you're the disciples, you're like, well, this is how Jesus is going to die. <laughs> right here. <laughs> Knew he wasn't going to make it much further. And I love this. Like, imagine the disciples. They get there, and then here comes Psycho Sam running at them. And I can just imagine the disciples kind of taking a step back. Ah. But when the world takes a step back, that's when Jesus takes a step forward. And I just love this. It says, Sam ran and it says he fell at the feet of Jesus. And, and some homework for you, check out all of Mark chapter five. It's amazing. There's this pattern in Mark chapter five of God's power being put on display and miracles happening, but it's always preceded. The power is always preceded by the right posture. Sam fell at his feet and then later Jesus is walking and a guy named Jairus runs and falls at Jesus' feet and asks him to heal his daughter. Then on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, a woman with the issue of blood comes and falls at Jesus' feet. Many of us have not seen God's power in our lives because we have not taken the right posture. There's a lot to be said about humbling yourselves, humbling ourselves and bowing before the king. And this is not a popular posture in today's society. Humility is not often put on display. But there's something when we just bow and we say, hey God, I'm at your feet, I lay before you because you're the king and I'm not, and I need you. And God's power will often be put on display when we approach him with the appropriate posture in our hearts and in our lives. And so Sam falls before him, and this is where it gets deep. Oof, theological bombshell, I don't even have time to dig into. But it says, he ran and he fell before him. And this sentence gets me. It says, the demon cried out of Sam, and it said, Why have, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What? Jesus, don't torment me? I just want to stop and, and park on that just for two seconds. What kind of Jesus do we pray to? What kind of Jesus do we know? Like, we just got off of Christmas. Like baby Jesus. A lot of us like baby Jesus. You know, like Talladega Nights, nine pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus, you know. A lot of us are cool with baby Jesus because he's small and humble and manageable. Yay, baby Jesus. A lot of us are cool with Jesus on a cross. He's sacrificial, he's giving, he's forgiving. Like we're, we're good with those two. But do we know this Jesus? Like do we know the Jesus that, that they recognize? The Jesus described in the book of Revelation by John. The Jesus that's riding on a white horse, a warrior king with flaming eyes and a flaming sword coming out of his mouth and a robe dipped in the blood of his enemies coming to roll hard over everyone that stands against him. Do we know the creator king Jesus? And these things that were tormenting Sam, they bow before Jesus and they say don't, they didn't say don't banish us, they didn't say don't destroy us, they said don't torment us. Why is that key? Because whatever is tormenting you, Jesus can torment that. Whatever you're dealing with, that darkness, that, that depression, that issue, that diagnosis, whatever it is that torments you, bows to Jesus. And some of us need to remember that in 2019. It doesn't matter what you come up against. All you got to say is, I have Jesus. I know I win in the end. Bow down. Let's go. That's why he calls us more than conquerors. Because he's the almighty conqueror. And it just keeps getting better. I love it. It says, so he, Jesus, gave them permission. You talk about authority. He said, all right, you can go. They begged to be sent into the pigs nearby. So Jesus, I'll summarize it for you, Cliff Notes. He says, you may go into the pigs. So these demons go into 2,000 pigs, and 2,000 pigs run off the cliff. Again, imagine if you're the pig herders. You're getting fired. 
right? You ever think about the whole story? Like, they're like, ah, our pigs. And they run and they die. And it says the pig herders run into the town. And then a lot of people come out because they're hearing Psycho Sam may be healed. And they come and it says they find him in his right mind, clothed. They find him clothed and in his right mind. Where do you get the clothes? He was naked. Now he has clothes. Again, just stop and ask questions. It's a great way to study the Bible. And if you read contextually, just before this, Jesus had taught a lesson. And the lesson basically went like this. If you have two tunics and someone has none, give them one. If you have two tunics and someone has none, give them one. Now, I don't know if you know, a tunic in that day and time, that was like your underwear, like your drawers. So if you're the disciples, you're like, when are we going to meet a naked dude? Right? This doesn't make any sense. And I just imagine, like, Sam gets healed, and the disciples are like, this is our chance. Get the tunic. Right? Give it to Sam. But that's even a principle we can glean from this passage. If you have two and they have none, give them one. If you have two of something and someone has none, give them one. If you're at lunch, you have two sandwiches, someone has none, give them one. I know somebody in their early 20s, their goal was to give away a car. So they saved and saved and saved, and instead of trading in their car, they gave it away to a single mom that had none. If you have two and someone has none, give them one. It can be as small as a sandwich. It can be as big as a car. Ladies, if you have 39 pairs of shoes and someone has none, give away 38. <laughs> Look for opportunities to be generous. And Central, I know you are. And so he heals him, and, and, and this is, we'll, we'll land the plane here. It says, Psycho Sam, he was, he was now sane, and he was in his right mind. And I love this. And it says in verse 18, and as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go and tell your story. Now, this is crazy because up until this point, Jesus' entire message was, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, right? Everyone he went to, he was like, I can change your life. I can reveal the creator to you. I am the savior. Follow me and find the wellspring of life. Sam's life is radically changed. And he says, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, no, go and tell your story. Now, this is, this is huge. Because do you realize that Sam may be the very first commissioned preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Before Jesus ever commissioned the 12 disciples to go and tell and make disciples, he told Sam, psycho Sam. Sam had every setback in the book. He was physically messed up. He was financially broken, messed up. He was relationally jacked up. He had no friends or family left. They literally chained him to the tombs and said, we wish you were dead. The dude had psychological setbacks. He was depressed and suicidal. He had every setback in the book. And Jesus said, you're perfect to change your city. Go and tell. What does that mean for us? You are never too jacked up to serve your city and see the lost saved. There's nothing you've done that disqualifies you. I don't know about you, but that's refreshing to me. I just, I'm like, wow, if you can use Sam, you can definitely use us. And he, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't even have a Bible. He didn't have a church or a small group. All he had was his story. I was really messed up. And then I met Jesus and he changed my life. You gotta meet him. 
Central, those of you here, those of you watching online, that's all you have to do. You wanna see a glory-filled 2019? Go and tell your story. I was really messed up, and I still am, but I know the one who can make it better. I know the one that saved my soul. I know the one that brought me from death to life, and I don't have all the answers, but just come with me to church, and I guarantee you I can introduce you to that Jesus that changed my life. Just go and tell your story. It's not complicated, and it worked. The real rest of the story, if you read it for you theologians out there, check out the book of Matthew. Jesus actually goes to the Capitalist twice. This was his first visit, and it made everybody so uncomfortable, they actually asked Jesus to leave because they didn't even fathom somebody that could do this. It scared them. But Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, and check it out in the book of Matthew. When he comes back, it says there wasn't one person there to greet him. There were thousands, and it says he healed thousands. Question, how did thousands of people know about the healing power of Jesus? Because one man who had his life changed just went and told his story. Psycho Sam became one of the greatest evangelists of all time just because he went and told his story. Central, that's my prayer for us in 2019. That's my prayer for the Water's Edge Network, that this would be an other side type of year, that we would lean our ear into the heavens and say, God, where are you calling me? Help me get uncomfortable for your kingdom and your glory. And when he calls, we would be secure in his calling. We would weather the storms that this year brings, and we will know that he's going to bring us to the other side. But when he does, and we come upon those shores, and we launch those new churches, or we step into those new relationships, or we take on those new initiatives, and it feels like it gets harder, we would have faith to take a step forward into the difference because we know Jesus has our backs and he's got our fronts because he sent us there and we would press in and keep telling the story and keep telling the story and keep telling the story. I pray this is another side type of year for us. Let me pray for you actually. Let, let, let's pray that. Jesus, thank you so much that you care about both sides. Thank you that you cared about the Jewish people there on the Sea of Galilee, but you wanted to show them and us that both sides are your side. God, thank you that you care about Holland, Michigan. Thank you that you care about Central Church. God, thank you that you love us and you're moving and you're working in this church family. And God, thank you that you care about the other side of the world, there in Indonesia, there in Cambodia, and other places that you are still calling and sending us to. But God, I, I pray over the marriages here. Everyone under the sound of my voice, the families here, that as you call us to go to the other side of the room, as you call us to go to the other side of the neighborhood or the other side of the office, that you would give us strength, that you would give us courage. And God, I just speak peace, that you would bring peace to the worried souls. And Jesus, that shoreline after shoreline, as we step forward and we step forward, Help us to go and tell our story. Jesus, thank you for how you're blessing us, and I thank you that it's only the beginning. Father, we love you, and we give you all of the glory, honor, and praise. In your name we pray, amen.